You're listening to the Practically Pastoring Podcast, where we want to help pastors and church leaders share ideas, become better shepherds and leaders, and have a good time with friends. Welcome back to Practically Pastoring. My name is Frank, and I'm glad you're here. I am here with all my good buddies. One, one of them is missing, sadly, but most everybody is here. Let me introduce them for you. All the way up in Baltimore, Maryland, we got Jeff Simpson. It's a late night hello to you all. Down in Sumter, South Carolina, in the Ninja Turtles lair, we got Dumb RP. It is raining and I love it. And freshly out of the hospital, we got Andrew Larson. I was not the one in the hospital. My child was in the hospital with a broken humerus. Which apparently is not funny, hey. but it sounds oh. funny. Delmar, you are so artsy for liking the rain, man. Well, it's been super dry, but around around here, man, it cools everything down. It's been super toasty, so I'm liking it. I actually love it when it snows at night in the wintertime when I sleep. But you may tell you how South Carolina works. So it's, it's really like we're in a low area of town, so the water comes under my crawl space. If you got a crawl space, you know what I'm talking about. So yeah. we had an extra baby monitor. So I hooked the baby monitor up in the crawl space. Nice. And then I bought a wireless switch from Harbor Freight and put an electric sump pump in my house. So now when it rains, I just cut on the baby monitor. And if there's water, I just go push and I hear and it sucks it all out. And then I'm good to go. Dude, when we have bad thunderstorms here, we get flash floods. And uh, like during summer 2020, we got like three times the basement flooded, like two or three inches. So now I take one of the ring cameras that's in the church, and I'm like, when I know a thunderstorm's coming, and I like place it so I can watch. And we have one of those. Uh, we our insurance company gave us like this alarm little puck thing that sits on the floor, and it detects water. That's cool. So, you know what else needs to be flooded around this time of year? Ice rinks. Hey, so hey. Jeff, talk to us about hockey. I thought you were going to say our conference website, but no. Okay. <laughs> All right. Okay, two things. Let's have a sports a sports moment. Two things I want to clarify. First of all, there cannot be a tie in the World Series. I said that with complete sarcasm, and neither Frank or Delmar picked up on it last week. I, I heard that when I was listening back this week, and I laughed so hard. He tells me, man, people think I'm so dumb about it. I played baseball. What, what does They're, this say oh. about the people that did not nah, catch man. this? There is baseball has no ties ever. You just keep playing until unless it was wins. that one All Star game that Bud All Star games don't there's, count. There's no you know, more that, pitchers. That would have made Angels in the outfield a lot different in the ending, though. I will just say, if it was that. So one of the one one Rays game I went to a long time ago. Amy took me for my birthday because it's April first, so it's right around opening day. They played the Red Sox, and it was an eighteen inning game, which was amazing. <laughs> Two games and one. But yeah, there'll be times when they'll like literally call guys back from the hotel that weren't supposed to play that day because they need pitchers. Nowadays, they'll put in uh, you know a player from the field to pitch, which is kind of crazy. Um, but yeah, it is hockey season. This is a great time of year because. Well, can I ask season... an honest question about your baseball thing? Yes. Go okay. Ahead. So if you're going like there's supposed to be nine innings, right? So right. As, if you go to like ten or twelve, you're like, man, I'm really getting my money's worth, right? Like mm -hmm. how many innings do you go before it's like diminishing return or does it like you continually feel like you're getting more bang for your buck or is there a moment when you're like, oh my gosh, can this just get over I mean, so I can go I home and watch Family Matters? I never think that. Um, <laughs> but usually, I mean, if you're really, 
invested as a baseball fan, you love it. As long as your team wins. If your team loses, my wife then gets so mad if there's an extra innings game. She she's like she counts down the innings until like she can watch TV <laughs> with me yeah. and have conversation. And when the uh, games go into extra innings, she, she gets very very sad. Mm. Yeah. But this again, this is a great time of year because baseball is starting to get to the playoffs. September call ups are on the team, so you get to see all these new guys. But also hockey is right around the corner in Delmar. You have you have said you're going to try hockey this year. So what are your questions? Yes, I'm a man of my word. I, I want to be able to contribute in some way to this. Carolina Hurricanes, of, that's your team. So I have a team. So you can tell yes. me which one. Okay. Um, well, I, do, good. I, I need to know. So is, is it is it matches or games? Yeah, are the, they're games. Are the fights legal or illegal? Fights well, are legal. Them, you should call them matches. You should call yeah, them you should, all your friends. You should call it'll, them matches. It'll give you instant credibility. Like if you walk up to a group of guys that you don't know, you should say, "Hey guys, did you watch the hockey match?" They'll love that. Oh, that's well, like are, the line. In are you Zoolander trolling me right at, now? I don't know. You know. should definitely ask them how the fourth quarter went. <laughs> when, when he's when he's at the bar with his dad in Zoolander, it's like, "Hey, pop." Who's winning the match? <laughs> I'm going to have well, to go okay, into our are, Facebook group to double check everything you say okay, against all other that pastors. That was lies. That was okay. all lies. They're okay. games. Okay. There are three periods in hockey. So that is different. There's not four quarters or two halves. There's three periods. Oh, okay. Which is great. Yeah, well, and you have two intermissions. So you have the first intermission between the first and second, and then the second intermission between the second and the third. In the regular season, Andrew, what is it? Three on three. For one overtime and then a shootout? Uh, I used to, they used to drop down to four on four. Um, I think they just, now that they have the shootout, I think they just go five on five. Okay. And then they go into the shootout and you get one point for a tie, three points for a win. Right. And, mm. But you still get the credit for a tie, even if you lose in a shootout. Right. So, so there's three points up for grabs each game. At a if you hockey win a game, game match thing, competition, when you go in there, is it because the rink is cold? Is the whole place cold? That's what matters to me. I mean, it I'm, is a winter sport. Because yes, I don't want to. You probably will want to wear a hoodie. Yes, it's okay. like 60, 65 degrees in the arena yeah. in Tampa. I, I do in think Tampa. hockey jerseys are like unlike There's, any other kind of jersey. Uh, sweaters, huge, sweaters. sweaters. Is that's what they're called? Sweaters. Uh, that's what they're called. Sweaters. Really? They're huge. Yeah, and they look like sweaters. They look like. Now, kind of I like, will say, oh, mostly yeah. guys from the very north part of our country and Canada. Uh, call them sweaters. I would still call it a jersey because it's a it's a you know it's a sports shirt, so it's a jersey. But the like the old school Canadian guys who have the hockey act the hockey accent, they call them they call them sweaters. So yeah, see this is well, cool. the whole thing. Yeah. The whole thing, man, it's cool. Well, I, so, I am going to legitimately give this a shot. Now here's the deal: I all I have streaming services. Am I going to have to pay extra money to watch this? No, if you have like Hulu Live Sports, you'll have you'll well, have. I have games. Hulu, but I've never paid for Live Sport anything. So I well, need. Well, if to... you have the, like the Live TV package, you have okay. the the okay. NHL is moving to ESPN this year, yeah. which was really sad because when the Lightning won the Stanley Cup, the NBC Sports people spent the post game show lamenting that it's no longer the NBC Sports post game show; yeah. it's going to be ESPN. So they're all losing their jobs. So but, instead of talking about the team that won. They all cried for a half an hour. But that means Barry Melrose will be back, and that hair is flowing. Okay, well, I, I just want to like listen to anyone listen to the podcast right now. Okay, I'm not a sporty. Is that what they call you guys? Like, got foodies yes. and sporties. That's what yep, I'm going to call exactly you. Exactly it. I'm sporties. not a sporty. 
Um, but I am going to give this a fair shake. So if if you want, if you don't watch sports, you could do the hockey thing with me, and then we can all learn together. Um, and and Jeff could tell me what I need to think on the podcast about. Listen, said- two things. Two things I'm going to end this with. Number one, there there is a select number of like premier games throughout the year that are played in outdoor venues, which are really cool. Mm-hmm. New Year's Day, there's one. There's usually one or two before that, and one or two after that. Those are really cool, and they always put like a rivalry game on those. And they have awesome cameras that you'd be into, Dell. Oh yes, they, yes. Got, like, they, they do like half the coverage with drones. Yes, and like the the Sony eight K setup. That's that they're doing really, for all the now, stuff. now you got now, me invested. I would say that just last for the cameras, year, you would be into it. Last year they set up on uh, Lake Tahoe, and uh, it got so warm during the game because it was during the day that the sun melted part of the ice. So they had to postpone wow. it until night nightfall. The second thing is you asked earlier in passing is fighting legal or illegal. It's technically illegal. Yes. When you fight, you get a penalty five minutes each in the penalty box for fighting. And so it's illegal, but you don't get kicked out of the game for it. Oh, that's all right. Then. All right. So yeah. legitimately what we may need to do just to help out is, and I don't know, maybe we could do it in our practically pastoring group. We could do a live stream there together and watch the game. Anyone who wants, and well, you can, if we get a lightning, if we get a lightning caps game, that would be ideal because and you, you know. can explain to me what's ha- like why certain people are cheering and why other ones are mad and stuff. Do the hey Andrew? Do the Hurricanes play the Lightning? Yeah, they're, 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 yeah. So we could do we could do a Hurricanes Lightning game, and then I could cheer for the Lightning. E. Um, but yeah, man, it's a great sport. The three best words in hockey that the referees say is "let them go." Two guys start scrapping, okay. the referees say, let him go. It's a beautiful, they beautiful thing. It's a great thing. It's crazy right. to me that you could not get kicked out of a game, yet still be charged with assault. Yes. That's the beautiful <laughs> thing. Bare See, that's so South Carolina. Why is that not popular around here? That is, it is so man. Sa- It is? No, the Hurricanes are popular. Yes. All right. Yeah, they're they're a popular team. We've been talking about hockey for eight minutes, guys. <laughs> hey, Dell, you need to look up just these two words, Mr. Svechnikov. On YouTube, okay. one of the greatest pregame routines you'll ever see. One teammate yells Mr. Svechnikov in Svechnikov's face right before they run out into the uh, – right before they skate out onto the uh, ice, and it's great. Well, if you haven't turned off the podcast and you're still here – Welcome think- to Practically Sports, where we talk <laughs> about sports. <laughs> yeah, that's what we should call Practically Sports because we practically talk about sports sometimes. But uh, talking about practically – the Practically Pastoring Conference – is popping, and we are we're getting more people signed up for the conference every single day, and we are excited about it. We hope you are excited about it. We hope you can be joining us on February twenty first, twenty third, next year down in sunny Florida. You know, in, in the middle of February is hockey season still going in February? Oh, yeah. Absolutely, so, getting heated so, up about then. Yeah. Although- the NHL players are going to the Olympics this year, so Ooh, yeah. that that might be about that time. So I don't know if there will be lightning games happening during the Practically Pastoring Conference. But what will be happening is the Practically Pastoring Conference. So February 21st to the 23rd, 22. Delmar, can you mute your mic so we can hear you laughing? <laughs> February 21st to the 23rd. You're welcome for that video, bud. Uh, we are, uh, we, we are still in the month of September when we have what, like eight days left, 10 days left. 
in the month of September where you can get the lowest price of $79. And there's still some perks. And if there you, will be some secret fun things that you get. Yeah, some secret fun stuff for the super early adopter. So if you're still on the fence, you only have a few more days left until the price goes up on October 1st. So go to practicallypassingconference.com for all the details. We've, we've answered a lot of questions. Is it going to be great? Yes. If you are married, can you bring your spouse? Yes. Who can attend? If you are a pastor of some sort in your church, you are invited. From the kids ministry to the youth ministry to associate, even to us measly campus pastors, we are invited to this conference. And of course, nice humble brag. The lead pastors can come as well. This is for everybody, and we're super, super excited about it. Go to practicallypastoringconference.com for more details. Hey guys, let's take a quick break, and when we come back, We'll dive into our clergy cliff notes. We are back and we are diving into, I mean, again, this is the second time where we have like breaking, breaking news, right? This came out today, right? This is it come out did it come out earlier? Am I, I wrong? think it came out in the last day or two. It was pretty recent. Um Brian Houston, the uh founding is he the founding pastor of Hillsong Church? Yeah. Yeah, the founding pastor of Hillsong Church. I think his dad was the founding pastor, but then he rebranded. Got it. Yeah. Okay. So Brian Houston steps down from Hillsong Church Board following criminal charges. This is this is everywhere, but the article I'm specifically reading from is on Relevant Magazine. And uh, so the found, yeah, it says Hillsong Church founder and pastor Brian Houston is facing criminal charges and he's announcing he's stepping down from the, the boards at his church. So he's not stepping down as a senior pastor, but he's stepping down, I guess, in, in, in our understanding, like the elder board of his church or maybe some other executive boards that are in the Hillsong system. So what's happening here is there were some child sex offenses uh, that were allegedly happening in the 70s. I believe, please correct me if I'm wrong, it was in regards to his father, right? Am I am, am I wrong in that? It's right, yeah. So like, there's these charges or these allegations towards his father. And it's, it's, it's these questions about whether or not Brian knew about this at the time and things like that. And so there's these emails that have come up and, and information has been brought up. And now I believe it's in the... Uh, julie roy's report website that the emails are going out that the church is they're letting the church know that he's stepping down still the senior pastor the global senior pastor but um but he's stepping down from all these different positions so that way the church can not be distracted with the day-to-day stuff um from what brian is going through with these criminal charges that i believe he's going to court like in the next yeah in october so guys as I as I listen to this, it's another story of a celebrity pastor in the news for all the wrong reasons. And I mean, Hillsong keeps getting beat up over and over again. And uh, you know, it seems like every few months there's a story regarding Hillsong that has nothing to do with their worship outfits, but it has something to do with their pastors getting in hot water. And so, I guess when you, when you hear this story, when you read this, what are your initial thoughts? And, and then I think the second question I just have simply is like, this is just another example of a celebrity pastor who is in the news for really wrong reasons. What does that do in terms of like 
the evangelical churches are large. How does this affect your perspective of mega churches, mega pastors? I want to hear your thoughts. I think it sounds awesome. Hey, uh, I'm going to continue to be the senior pastor, but I don't have to go to any meetings on weeknights because I'm not on any boards or any committees anymore. So I'm going to preach and I'm going to minister to people, but all the stuff that eats up my week and keeps me away from home. Yeah. My punishment is that I'm going to resign from those boards. Sign me up. I mean, I don't want to ever be accused of covering up that kind of misconduct, but the repercussions sound like something I could certainly live with. Well, you know, I think it sounds like he's gunning for the SBC here in news detention in the bad way, right? I mean, I think, SBC, the SBC stuff is wild. I mean, it's wild. Uh, but, I, you know, yeah. I can't help. The first thought that came to my mind, good, bad, or different, is, man, um, leadership is a trickle-down effect, isn't it? Because um, you look at where all the other stuff has come out with um, who was the guy stateside here, Bieber's buddy, ex-buddy? Carl Lentz. Yeah, and it's just like it seems like there is something in the leadership pipe itself possibly that's broken because whether or not these allegations hold up or don't hold up, like why were they buried? You know, there's a level of transparency that you need to have. And I think this is where any pastor, it doesn't matter the size of your church, you have to be super transparent with your congregation, especially when you're interviewing to go in. Let them If there's anything in your past, that can reflect on your church, like you owe that to them, just like you would your spouse when you marry her. Like any anybody who's gotten married, like you should sit down with your spouse first and, and say, hey, listen, if there's any baggage that you have in your past, your spouse should know because th- that could come up in the worst way and, and hurt your relationship. It's the same with the church. Is there any baggage? They should know. So I feel like if he's not been forthcoming, then absolutely he should have been taken down. To me, though, I share in Andrew's like snarkiness, like if the dude's going to have to step down, you take him off the stuff that he doesn't necessarily want to do and you let him get to do the like, I feel like it should be we need to take him off for a minute. Like, how do you quit half your job in ministry? If it's bad enough to take you from one why not the other? Maybe I don't understand. You guys can shed some light, but I feel like it's a it's a package deal on that situation. Yeah, I think the part of I mean, from the the relevant magazine article that bothered me the most was part of they have a quote from his email to the church, and um, you know, just his. I just I, I question the timing of wanting to emphasize your continued role. Um, you know, I've made this decision to step aside from my role, uh, from the boards that oversee the governance. And then he says later on, this doesn't change my role as global senior pastor. And then he says, I'm still full of vision and know that there's an exciting season ahead. To me, that just, it just sort of guts the, uh, the uh, sort of apology and any kind of repentance. It's like, you know, I'm stepping aside from this, but I'm still going to maintain my role. And it's just, honestly, it's kind of like, this is more egregious in terms of like the consequences of this. But this reminds me, if you guys are following in, speaking of the SBC, what's going on with Ed Litton lately and the continued like plagiarism thing where he's just basically like, well, I'm ready to move on from this and I'm still the SBC president. And it's just like, man, this is not the repentance that I want to see. And that I know that, I mean, in my own ministry, I've had to practice this, like admitting and confessing my my most embarrassing stuff 
that made me vulnerable to people. I think that's the fear a lot of us have in admitting that like something we've done is wrong or there's some skeleton in our closet. It's because it makes you feel like you're vulnerable to people. And the, the reality is you, you are vulnerable. When you say I've had this sin in my past or this thing has happened, you make yourself vulnerable to unfair critique and for people to attack you. But I, I just think that's part of the role. Like if you're going to stand in a pulpit and call people to confession and repentance, you ha- you kind of have to practice it. And, you know, ideally you wouldn't have anything to confess or repent of, but the reality is, I mean, we all do. And I mean, I really agree with you, Dell. I mean, everywhere you go, once something like this happens or, you know, some kind of sin in your past or, or church issue has come up, I think it's on you to sort of pull every skeleton out of the closet in those search committee conversations when you're going to a new place or, you know, with your elders right when you get hired, if it hasn't already come out. I mean, that's what I did here. I sat my elders down, even though we talked about a little bit in the hiring process, I sat them down and gave the full unabridged story because I wanted them to know, like, look, there's you can't there's nothing else for you to ever find. It's all I'm telling you all of it now. And, you know, so so that just kind of sets you up and to to have this kind of skeleton in your closet, I mean, you can just see the repercussions. Because it's true that it, it is also true that the world is looking for stuff like this. And I mean, frankly, it seems like lately we're just making it easy to find. It's frustrating to watch. Frank, to go to your second question, um, it, it doesn't really change my perception of megachurches. Um, my, my wife came to faith in a, I don't know if you'd call it a megachurch, but you know, Couple in a several thousand person church, um, I served in seminary at a giant giant church, and I'm so grateful for the uh, how how wide the reach can be, but it makes me never ever ever want to work in one ever again. Um, whenever I hear stories like this, I just think I want to be faithful in serving in the little church that God has called me to, and never leave because. I mean, I I just don't think anyone's going out of their way to dig up dirt on me because if you dig up anything on any of us long enough, you're going to find something. And it must be exhausting to know that there are people who have blogs dedicated to exposing what you did 20 years ago. And Andrew, you know something? That does not mean you're not going to crush it. It doesn't mean you don't have vision. It doesn't mean you don't want to work hard. To me, that is one of the biggest frustrations I see today is like in order to be a successful pastor, you have to aspire to have a big platform, a multifaceted, you know, multi social network platform. That's the only way to be a successful pastor today. Um, it's these visions of grandioso. And, and I'll be honest, I feel you like being a successful pastor. Like, do you know your people's names? You know, do you know, when, when you need to call someone and pray with her because her son's going through a hard time. That's not to slide on the big pastor. God definitely calls some people to be on that level in that platform. But the unstated thing with the mega churches is, well, your church isn't crushing it unless you're running. How many, what's the mega church now? 5,000? Isn't that, or is it 3,000? Anyways, unless you're running multiple thousands of people. And I say, no, I mean, there are people who crush it at the mega churches, but they crush it on the church of, 50. Let's be honest, man. Crushing it with a church of 50 in its own right is just as challenging 
because it's got a whole different level of pastoral care and responsibilities that you're ascribed to that mega churches don't even pretend to even try to check off. I mean, Andrew, you, I know you say that often about how like you're, you're very glad you're at a small church and you just want to be faithful to that. I will say like, ever since we started doing this podcast together and we read actually gospel driven church kind of like made me kind of rethink some of that stuff too. And it's like, if, if the Lord calls me to, to be faithful to a, to a smaller congregation, I'll be glad because I, I honestly like, I don't mind larger churches if that's, if it just grows and that's how the Lord sees fit and you're faithful to that church. And I, I think Dumbo, you're right. Like, you know, knowing people's names is a good example of like the 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 care the pastor has for his people. Obviously, as the church grows, systems need to take place where you have more more than one pastor caring for the people. But like, I don't know, man. It's like I don't want to I don't want to read into um, Brian Houston's like I don't know motive and be like his desire was only to be this like massive you know, multi-continent church or whatever kind of system they have. I don't know. I don't know why people are, you know, I think some people do have a desire to build churches to be massive. And then there's some church people who are just like, they fall into it. Right. And I think, I think, you know, their faithfulness and their, their motives are going to go before the Lord one day when they come before Jesus. But I do think the, the aspiration to be a giant, to have a giant platform it's probably something that no a no man or woman is ever meant to have, and then b as as far as the pastor goes, I think that's like alien. Like I think that's that's not like the like when when Jesus you know sent his disciples out to start the church. I don't think his 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 mind was like, and these disciples are going to eventually have mega churches where they're going to have you know huge huge New York Times bestsellers and hundreds of thousands of people are listening to their blog like. I think I think historically we've seen in scriptures and in church history and in our current moment that when Christians have a lot of unaccountable power, it goes bad for them. You know what I'm saying? Like it doesn't end up well. And I think like ultimately, you know, you Andrew, you mentioned about how like, you know, if, if we're digging up things from 20 years in the past and, and, and all that stuff, it's like, I agree with you. Like, we need to be able to, like, like all of us have dirt that we don't want to see exposed. I think the biggest difference is, is uh, are, are you are you being held accountable for your past? You know what I'm saying? Like, have you like 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 we've talked like Jeff talked about like have you gone before your elders and say, hey, there's yeah, I may have a past, but you know it. Everyone knows it. there's nothing to hide. I think the problem is there's a lot of people who are aspiring to these positions of authority. And they're trying to cover up their past and they're trying to cover up the stuff. And I think that's when it can go. Like, I don't think that's cancel culture. I think that's called accountability or, you know, catching up to you. You know, I think I want to flip, flip it around too and say, you know, I don't know. None of us know Brian Houston personally. None of us know his heart. It's totally possible that um, this was just a massive mistake too. Um, you know, again, I don't know the details, but it's totally possible that, he had great intentions, loves his church, loves the people that are around him, is a good leader, shepherds the people that are around him well, and made a poor a poor decision 20 years ago that he moved on from and is coming back up now and um you know it so so I say that to say yes, some pastors have terrible motives 
and maybe they even started good and then they ended up you know the the sort of the big um the big church machine or whatever you want to call it eats them up and now they have bad motives but i i just think it's important to remember like there's an aspect of that that we need to be prayerfully asking god to protect us from because like it's possible for us i worked at a church uh i was brought into a church after the youth pastor didn't have a moral failing, but made a terrible mistake that he shouldn't have made and made a decision that ended up honestly like schisming the church and bringing in, you know, a new staff to try to help for a couple of years that I was a part of. And again, he had, he, he had a good heart, but he made a terrible, terrible mistake. Um, not to this level, but it's possible that, you know, this isn't a, this isn't a cover up in like a devious sense, but it's just a, I'm going to make a cognitive decision that, you know what, I probably don't need to tell everybody about this and I'm going to move on. And then, you know, 20 years later, it gets brought back up uh, and now you have all these consequences. So I do want to like, that's possible. I don't want to say like, you know, we don't know Brian Houston. We don't know his motives. I think it's unfair for me too to like think of him like he's some bad. Oh, he's this, you know, caricature of this evil megachurch pastor that's abusive like they're not all like that. I was part of a mega church as a kid too, and it, they're they're good. There there are good ones. I just think the the issue that I watch out for in my own soul is when I start to make numbers and that mega church status the the goal and not the byproduct of faithfulness. Like if I think if numerical growth happens as a byproduct of being faithful in your ministry, I mean, great. You know, it happened at Pentecost. It happened through church history. It could happen. But if I start focusing on I need to have this much reach and this much and views and numbers, and I think that's where, for me, that's where my soul gets off. Not speaking specifically to Hillsong, but just the the concept of little church versus the, the mega church in, in general. Um, our denomination makes sermon series available to us at time, and they're almost always curated in a mega church. And I was listening through one to to see if we were going to use it for our church um, just a couple weeks ago. And I was like, this is terrible. Like, this is not something that I would give a youth intern to preach. And yet I pulled up the YouTube video of when it was originally done at the the big church and there's spontaneous baptisms and people are getting saved. And I'm like, this is a mediocre, like sophomore preaching class sermon sometimes the Holy Spirit moves and there's no rhyme or reason and it's not necessarily a skill set. It's just the Holy Spirit's going to move where the Holy Spirit's going to move and we don't get to choose where that is, but we do get to choose to be faithful. So, you know, if our little church of 75, 80 people turns into a church of 750 or 800 people, that has very little to do with my work ethic or, you know, any skill set that I have, it's a move of the Holy Spirit, period. Man, I think you just said some some real stuff because oftentimes as a church, we're like, well, my success is equated with how many people's coming. It's equated with how the tithe is. And it's equated with all these because as good Christians, we want to measure stuff. And, you know, we do want to know if our people are tithing because your your money follows your heart. And we do want to know if they're coming to meet Jesus, because their heart's the most important thing. But Andrew, you just said it. Is is the work? Is the spirit moving there? You know, like as a pastor, one of my biggest things I feel like I'm called to do 
is to try to be professional for the Lord and and organize for the Lord. And then as much as I can, get out of the way so he can work. And don't try to manipulate. There's a there's a really big church in my state. And um, one of my friends went and visited it. And um, in the parking lot, he was just dealing with some personal stuff. And he started crying. And one of the parking lot greeters said, oh my gosh, I'm so glad you met Jesus today. And wrote his name down on a card and turned it in as someone who met Jesus. And, and my friend, that, that wasn't what he was struggling with or anything, but they were, they were pre-programmed to look for those things. And then they report that up to the high ups. Oh, you know, 79 people met Jesus today. No, my friend was crying in the parking lot because his wife was about to leave him, you know? Um, so like, we really have to be careful with those measurements. And I think as much as we can, being ethical in them is very important. Um, and not, you know, the problem is this. You know, if if I take responsibility, I know everybody's heard this, but, you know, if I take credit for the win, then I got to take credit for the loss. When, you know, our scripture says that we preach the gospel and we and Jesus is the one who quickens the heart, you know, so it's not my job um, to do all that. But when I start assuming that role, man, that's a lot of responsibility. I wouldn't even preach another week if I felt like when I got up there, I was a car salesman for Jesus. That's good. I, I have to make one correction in this whole thing. Uh, we keep saying like something you said 20 years ago, but the events in this uh, this article talks about something that happened in the 1970s, which I did the math. That's over 40 years ago. So, I mean, none of us are, are over 40, right? I think everyone here is under well, 40. I mean, I think that even goes to my point even more. Yeah. If you make a mistake 40 years ago in good, you know, Maybe yeah. you didn't mean it. And it wasn't him. It was his dad. Yeah. Now, if they find out, they're going to do an investigation. If they find out he intentionally covered this up, then that's a different story. But if this was just a really bad strategic mistake, I think, you know, if it ends up that it's a really bad strategic mistake, then it's actually the right thing for him to do to step off the board so that they can do the investigation, which is what he's saying. So I think, you know, we, we, we also want to give benefit of the doubt when we can. So it, these are tough situations, man. They're really hard because you you do want to, you know, you do want to think in the most positive terms you can, but at the same time you want to believe victims and you want to, you know, do the right thing and do justice no matter how long it takes. Even if it was from the seventies and it's forty years ago, you got to do the right thing. That's good. That's good. So we're gonna take a quick break um, on that conversation. We're gonna kind of go from that kind of heavier note to a lighter note and we're going to talk about um, our main discussion here in a second we'll be right back and we are back and for today's uh, main discussion uh, I, it kind of came from something that happened to me this week. Um, I'm guessing uh, I, I'm for sure Andrew and Jeff, this, this goes to you guys. Delmar, I don't know how it works in your church, but like in my church, we have a generic email for our church. It's like info at Epicos, right? Like that's our generic in- email. And so if in the public, if, if, if random people from the neighbor community or whatever – wants to send an email to the church it usually goes there and it goes to an admin in our church and then the admin decides who is going to answer this question with a list of our pastors and uh and the thing is i'm really good friends with the admin 
and so she often sends me questions uh that uh that um i don't have uh, uh sometimes the answer for so i sometimes i get really really weird odd questions from people who maybe don't have a church background and things like that so um so i want to ask you guys what are some really odd or interesting questions that you've been asked over the years maybe from that that email that, that the generic email to your church or people have questions about your church maybe things from unchurched people that are just kind of funny or interesting or probably some of the more interesting ones are people from your actual church who just ask really oddball questions i'd be interested i'll share my question in a second but what are some good questions that you've been asked and how did you answer them i've been asked by a bunch of random people money questions um, there was a guy that was going around to a bunch of churches in the area looking for a church that did not teach the evil, unbiblical concept of tithing and basically started his email like that. Like, I'm looking for a church that does not teach the evil, unbiblical concept of tithing because there's no place for the tithe in the New Testament. And also, do you let women touch microphones at your church? And I'm like, yeah, buddy, uh, you're probably not going to want to worship here, but we'd love to have you. Uh, come and be divisive. Um, but I, I've gotten multiple money questions like that. Um, you know, what does your church teach on this, that, or the other? Um, I've gotten lots of questions, you know, involving our denomination or denominational ties, or if there's ever something stupid that happens within the denomination, emails, hey, I looked for a church within your denomination in my area and your name came up. Okay. <laughs> you know, there's, there, there's a thousand churches in our denomination. So how do good job? So that guy who said like tithing isn't in the Bible, how does he, I mean, did you ever ask the question like, how do they think churches like pay their rent and bills and staff? How do they, how do they assume that happens? His thing was everyone should give what they're able to with a joyful heart. So the 10% concept keeps people from receiving God's true reward. And, you know, old people should be giving away more because they're going to die soon anyway. And I was just like, oh my God. Wow, I've never heard, that's I've never heard that logic, man. Oh, I've heard it multiple times. Yeah, we. I got a, a question once about giving um, – Somebody wanted to know which weeks of the month go towards the pastor's salary because they came from a church where the first and third week paid the pastor and the second and fourth week paid the bills. And I was like, I I didn't know how to answer the question. It was just like, that's not how we do it. Here's our budget. You know, we we just take what we have every week and we put it towards the budget that we agree on each year. Um, Actually, that's a good question. Hold on, hold on. So, Jeff, you... Do so. Do you show the budget to the entire congregation? Yeah, when we have like a congregational meeting, they get to see the whole thing, and so, nobody, nobody, including myself, understands it. So we have the treasurer <laughs> help us because <laughs> we're like, wait, line what on page what is so, what? I mean, so, it's a small church. Our our whole sure. budget is like three pages. It's not. So once a year, you like show the budget. You're not like one of those churches that prints the budget in the bulletin of like the tithes and the offerings. And- no, and honestly, that's something I need to get better at because um, we don't have a bulletin because we killed the bulletin when I got here. So one of the downsides is if I'm not, I don't, I, I honestly like, I just don't think about finances. Like they're just, they're just not um, front on my mind. And that can be a positive thing and it can be a negative thing. 
You know, in the negative regard, it means that, like, I'm not paying attention to it because I have a treasurer that I trust, and he tells me when I need to pay attention. And so, you know, the negative side of that is that I could I could slip into abdicating my role of, you know, shepherding and authority in that area as kind of the person who's who's really in charge, I guess, of, of keeping things running. But on the positive note, like, I have no idea who gives what. I don't. It doesn't like money stuff just doesn't like bother me. It doesn't affect me. It doesn't make me treat people different because it's just not like an important thing for me. But I have to intentionally like remind myself to tell the congregation, if you want to know what's going on with the finances, you can ask anytime you want. Um, And then we, you know, we do an annual meeting. Usually we haven't because of COVID and we're in redevelopment status. So it's a little different, but most people, when it comes to the budget, most people are not asking, but there's a few people that are interested to know, and it's they have every right to know. They're a member of the church, you know. They give money, they are part of the church family, and it's not a secret. So, yeah, they can access it. And um, my treasurer sends us a, a monthly report, and if people ask, I just pull up the last one he sent and give it to them or email it to him or whatever. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I had a guy ask that question. It was coming from like a very weird, uh, a very weird like assumption that he had been trained in about how churches actually provide for the pastor. It was like, whatever we get on the first and third week goes to the pastor. And whatever we get on the second and fourth week pays the rest of the bills. And I think on fifth Sundays, they did something with that money. So it was a real weird question. The only other time I've gotten a question like that, um, I was actually in Best Buy recently. I was texting you guys about it. I was buying a TV for children's ministry and I was standing in line and a lady was standing there and I asked if they, you know, when I was talking to the clerk at Best Buy, I asked about tax exempt status and he, you know, had to enter some stuff. Then he had to walk away. And the lady asked me, what do I do that I'm asking for tax exempt status? I said, oh, I'm a pastor. And first question out of her mouth was, oh, let me ask you this question. Do you, What do you guys teach on, uh, you know, the gifts and speaking in tongues? And it's like, you get that question in a random line at Best Buy. That's like. I mean, there's so many caveats you got to give, you know, it's like, you can't just answer that question. Yes or no. So I did my best and I gave her my card and she, she texted me once and then I never heard again. That's, that's, I mean, people, people, when you find, when people find out you're a pastor, it's either like a really awkward conversation. Like they don't want to really talk to you or they get in the nitty gritty. Uh, Delmar, what has been some interesting, weird questions that you've been asked? Yeah. I mean, really quick. Jeff, it's kind of like when the woman at the well with Jesus, sir, I perceive you are a rabbi. Our forefathers. Am I Jesus the, in this metaphor? I well, like that. The pastor. I mean, we he was a, the ultimate pastor. But I mean, but seriously, as soon as she realized he was quote unquote spiritual, she yeah. tried to take the conversation straight to the temple. And they, that happens with us a lot. But I've gotten several. Um, we do ask the pastor once a year on the stage where people could text in their questions and then another somebody reads them to us. And. Um, so sometimes we could weed out some of the crazy ones, but somebody did ask one time, Hey, pastor Delmar, who monitors all your staff's social media accounts to make sure they're appropriate. And I'm like, that's not passive aggressive at all. <laughs> so evidently hmm. they wanted to see that. Um, I've legitimately gotten, um, is the vaccination, the mark of the beast. So it just, you know, the real talk is around this part of the country, dispensationalism was really huge during the Second Great Awakening and the rapture theology and all that. So that's just some I have I think we have Tim LaHaye in the Left Behind series to thank for a lot of this because it was I see those things at yard sales every weekend. So 
people ask me that question and they are very serious about that. Um, and then I got one question one time. He said, I'm going to try to remember it right. If someone came to your church and was a man who transitioned to a woman and then got married to another man and became a Christian, would you tell him to leave his husband? Are you reading this right now? No, I'm trying to say it like I'm trying to remember it exactly right because it was so nuanced. Sure. I'm like, this guy obviously sure. has someone in mind because he's like, would you tell him if the husband didn't know that he used to be a woman? I'm like, how does that work? But anyways, I've gotten some very oddly specific questions about sexuality and gender and everything. Oh, I was going to say, Dell, like, I think that's a good pastoral note. Like, sometimes we get questions that people are trying to ask us in generic ways that are actually about a real situation going on. Yeah. And I think sometimes you can tell. And, you know, you can, you can, you can always tell when they say, I'm asking for a friend. Yeah. Well, that's that's a dead giveaway. But, Sometimes they don't say I'm asking for a friend, but you can kind of tell. And it's I think it's helpful to ask if it's a member of your church, you know, is there something going on that you want to talk more about? Because it sounds like, you know, this is a real important question to you. And I want to hear really the situation, because if this isn't a real situation, then I don't know that we need to worry about it so much. But if it's right. a real situation, I really want to engage with you on it. And, well, and the- you, you got to be careful sometimes with. Those, if if it's from someone in your church, then like yeah, have those conversations. But if it's someone from the outside just randomly emailing you asking yeah. about sexuality, sometimes be... sometimes it's a hit piece. Yeah, sometimes they're like trying to find the churches just so they can like write a blog or like a or a newspaper article about how like they're unaffirming or something like that. And so I I think like I I luckily haven't had some of those conversations, but I've definitely seen it like. I can't tell you how many times we get emails from people at my church because we're one of the largest churches in the city of people trying to like almost like set us up. And mm-hmm. a, a lot of it, it has to do with like LGBT stuff or or any, any some other stuff that's kind of like how is this church discriminating against the community? And it's yeah. like, man, this is a little bit more nuanced than just an email. We should probably talk about this in person or over the phone or something. That's what, what you I just said is what I was going to say, Frank. I generally do not from my fingertips, write or type anything that's a hot topic issue. Um, if I if I need to, I could put a white paper out there just of what I believe. Our pastor does that sometimes to like affirm stances for the church in case there's any question. But I I don't I don't write that. And another thing that I've really picked up on is um, there really is no stupid question. And like to me, like I I need that's a very empathetic thing I have to tell myself every time somebody asks me something because sometimes people ask me stuff that like you're like when they ask you the question you're like you've been a Christian 30 years you don't know that that's what you could initially think but it's like man first of all they're trusting you enough to ask like in that minute the way you handle that is going to determine the trajectory of that relationship you have and number two like this might be getting asked not because they don't know but because Sometimes people ask us questions because they're looking for permission, right? So like we got to be very careful that we're not going too light on it. Um, uh, In a very real way, we had a a parachurch ministry in our town one time and um, 
on the last night of their meeting, it was senior night for students. And one of the students got up there in front of everybody. Everybody, every student got to share one thing, right? And this student gets up in front of several hundred other students and says, hey, everybody, I'm gay. And Eddie said it was the way and I could do that because Jesus loves me as I am. And then he just drops the mic and like walks very purposefully, femininely off the stage. And it was because this kid went to Eddie, asked him a real question, and he didn't give him like an honest answer because I knew mm. what Eddie really thought, but he didn't answer him directly because um, you got to speak with love, but you also got to speak in truth. And that kid took it as permission. So we need to be careful because people look at us as God signing off or denying things. Yeah. And though we should not look at that as our role because we look to scripture for that. People do look at us that way, whether we believe it or not. Brought up the, the statement, like, even if a person's been a Christian for 10, 20 years, like, no question is dumb. I think that's important because sometimes, like, uh, a person's sanctification, like, they'll not necessarily forget things, but they've allowed things to creep into their theology or to their orthodoxy, and it will change their perspective on things. So, like, someone who grew up as a Christian maybe has, like, lightened on their perspective on the purpose of scripture in their life or the need of community. I mean, like even like tithing, like it's interesting how so many people um, focus on like one thing and like make it like that's their hobby horse. So like, yeah. whether it's giving, whether it's women in ministry, whether it's speaking in tongues, whether it's, um, but even those are kind of too big of an issue. Like sometimes I, people have like really focused on very minute things to be hills to die on. Because one pastor told them one time that this is something they should consider. It's really interesting. Anyways, I was this is a question that I got this week that I thought was really interesting. A lady asked if it was if our church was okay with people asking questions in the middle of the sermon. So, like, if 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 there's a question that arises in the middle of, of you preaching, someone raises their hand. Can you stop what you're preaching on to have them ask the question and you answer it? And when I heard that, I'm just like, clearly this person has never been to my church before. Clearly this person has no concept of like how multi-site functions and how like tight of the schedule is, which actually leads to other conversations because some people have criticized my church because we are on such tight schedules that they, they consider the uh, the tightness of the schedule to be seen as inauthentic because like, we're not. Getting- and like I've had people, I had a guy, because I, I handed him a PCO, like a planning center plan for our small church. And he said it was military quote unquote militaristically <laughs> tied to the time because, wow. you know, and I was, I was, uh, what is the quenching the Holy spirit, which I think is kind of what you're saying, Frank, like, no. you're not, yeah. and it's like, listen, it's not quenching the Holy spirit. I just want to know if we're already 20 minutes over before the service starts. But Jeff, I agree with you. It's like, it's funny how, especially like, if once people get behind the scenes of our services and they see the PCO and see that we use that one feature where we actually are like setting the timer and we're seeing if we're going over and stuff. And like, I don't think people understand what it takes to run, especially like when you have a broadcast service, like how much it takes to make sure you have to be on time. I don't think people understand what click tracks are or like, uh, or what backing tracks mean. Or understand how much prayer went into that planning. Right. And I think and I think people perceive 
what you just said that org- like having a, a, a PCO schedule or having like the service planned out means that you are stifling the spirit, which I don't think that's what that means. I don't think that's what we're doing. Well, they assume that it inherently means that it could mean that you could over plan and you could, you know, not, you could do it without, you know, you could do it without prayer. You could, but that doesn't mean that that's always what it is. Right. And, and, and I know like one thing that our worship leader at my campus is doing is in our PCO calendar, giving like wiggle room for spontaneous yeah. moments of worship, which I think is totally, which is good. Right. Um, but then I think there's also this other stuff that people assume that the, the, the structure means that we're not being authentic that since we, since we're so polished and so like, you know, doing things like in a certain way that it, it means that we're not, we're not authentic. Honestly, you know how you fix that? You let that person serve in the nursery for one week when it goes over. <laughs> yeah. The kids ministry <laughs> loves the PCO schedule. They love the, how organized it is. Yeah. One so, of my favorite Andy Stanleyisms of all time is people don't realize how much work it takes to make something look this spontaneous. And yeah. I just, I love that. It's, do you know what? Yeah. It, it takes a whole lot of work for you to not notice how scheduled out a really well done scheduled out service can be. <laughs> That's true. I'll, ultimately I told the lady, uh, I wrote back to the lady and I said like, you can absolutely ask questions. That's what our small groups are for. We have sermon-based small groups. I also said that all of our emails are wide open. Like when I preach, you can ask me anything. Um, and then, but then I, I, I try to explain that like, um, we just can't have like Q and a time in the middle of a sermon. And her response was something to the effect of like, it doesn't matter if we have small groups, like some people can't make it all this other stuff. And, and I think her biggest, her biggest thing was like, by us not allowing the opportunity for people to ask questions in the sermon actually would, it's actually like, is like creating a undivided house, right? Like she uses that verse and saying like, there's people walking away with questions unanswered. And therefore we are purposely kind of like, not helping people who genuinely want to seek. And I don't know, like I, Jeff, before the, before we got on, you, you mentioned something about how there are some churches that do that. And I think that like some churches have more of like a, a college lecture Bible study kind of vibe on a Sunday morning, which is, which is kind of impossible once you like, I don't know, want to broadcast a service or grow past a certain size. Like, I don't know. It just it just seemed kind of like an unreasonable question. But you I said, listen, you can yeah. have questions, just not during the sermon, because that's my time. Okay, <laughs> that's my time for the lights to be on me. <laughs> no, yeah, that's funny. Hey, I was gonna say though, shameless plug. One thing you can do is, uh, I recently had a a new person at the church. It's so ref- can we talk about how refreshing it is when there's a person who's like new to church or hasn't been to church in a long time, and they ask like serious questions that are like pretty innocent and really fun to answer um and so i had some of those and so i started thinking of what would be questions that people would think of that are like not the heavy heavy questions but the lighter ones and i start i just made a little series of videos on like uh, i just called it church questions and i've seen other versions of that i've seen other people do this but i had like why do we sing why do we greet each other why do we give what do pastors do all week the last one i made was what's baptism i'm gonna do one on what's the lord's supper so that's another way you can engage that part of it is I'm trying to build a little library. So if, and when I get asked those questions again, I can just send the link to the, like the little three minute video I have doing the very quick explanation to those questions. I'm, I'm rewatching lost right now because I was on quarantine for 17 days and like right now on your phone. Is that what you're looking at? 
No, uh, oh. but just in general, I'm watching Lost <laughs> right now. And when you talk about all those videos, I think about all of the Dharma Initiative videos. And so I'm just wondering if you change your name for each video, like prof- like the scientist guy did, uh, Miles' dad. I don't know this reference at all because I never watched one what? second of Lost. 4, 8, what? 15, 16, 23, 42. 23, 42. It's, so, it's, I, it's, one, it's one of the best TV shows of all time. I, I yes. can't believe you've never watched Lost. Like, why are we even doing have. this right now? <laughs> Do you have Hulu? It's, it's on Hulu. You need to, uh, just when we're done, watch episode one, which is really a two-part pilot. It was the most expensive pilot ever made at Bro, the time. It ain't going to happen. Uh, I'm not... It's there's too many. Show. There's too many old this old house videos for me to watch to learn how to fix stuff. <laughs> oh <my goodness>. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes we are so similar, Andrew, and sometimes we are so that very different. Sigh. Bro, that sigh. You were so disappointed in me with that sigh. I feel like your son. My dad doesn't love me anymore. <laughs> hey, we're gonna take a quick break, and we'll come back. Uh, when we come back, we'll wrap up the show. Hey, it's been a great show. We are uh we talked about the Hillsong, we talked about hockey for way too long, and we talked about the the interesting questions that we get from from different folks. Um but one thing I am still very very excited about is the Practically Pastoring Conference. We hope you can join us. This is for everybody. If you're listening to me, you're invited to the Practically Pastoring Conference. February 21st to the 23rd next year. Go to practicallypassionateconference.com to get all the info. If you sign up before October 1st, you'll get the cheapest, most affordable In price. In sunny Trinity, Florida. Six. Is it Trinity? Where's yeah. Tarpon Springs? Where's he at? Tar- Tarpon Springs. That's close enough. It's, but it's like five minutes. Five minutes from, from some of the best baklava you can ever find. He claims to live in Trinity, but we all know it's Newport Ritchie. It's cool. That's true. Yeah. Nobody claims yeah. Newport Ritchie, man. No one claims to be <laughs> They 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 you know, and you'll be they fine. made up a fake city name and I don't know. Let's call this part of Newport Ritchie Trinity. Like, mm, dude, people who are well, from Newport Ritchie just say they're from West Pasco. That's what they, that's Ex- what they exactly. Say. <laughs> <laughs> if you come to the conference, you'll be close to Jeff and I's alma mater. Also, the same school where the Billy Graham the. graduated from. The Billy, Billy Graham. We're excited. Please check out presentlypastoringconference.com for all the info about the conference. Hey, with that being said, we hope to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, all the places. And until next time, I'm Frank Gill. We already mentioned earlier, but the rapture is real, and Dell and Tim have been raptured, and I'm Jeff Simpson. <laughs> and I'm Andrew Larson. We'll see you next time, boys and girls. Bye. Thanks for listening. Get connected to other pastors by joining the Practically Pastoring Facebook group, where we get to share ideas and make each other better.